It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmelk here with you. Today's guest, now I guess semi-retired is the way to use it. It's Vic Carucci. He covered the Bills for a long time. He's still with Sirius XM NFL Radio. We'll get to Vic in just a second. Just a reminder, the Giants Huddle Podcast is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which you can find on the Giants mobile app, your favorite podcast platforms, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Subscribe to the Giants Huddle Podcast. And for an Apple podcast, please leave a five-star positive review. Now we're joined by our guest. He is Vic Carucci. You can still hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio. And he is joining me live from snow-drenched bu- from Buffalo. You can't see it. He's in what you know his nice abode here. But uh, Vic, thanks for being with us. Obviously, the Giants with some big news today, hiring Joe Shane, who I know has a lot of connections to the Bills. Yeah, uh, and, and it's great to be with you. And uh, yeah, you can't see the snow. I can see the snow. Um, <laughs> But uh, that said, Joe Shane is uh, a terrific hire. I I think the Giants definitely have a a really solid individual. Let's start with the man um, to be to be their new general manager. Uh, He is you know, he's got the the right personality, I believe, for the job, uh, especially because and coming from an organization that is team first team driven uh, from top to bottom. He's, he's well-versed in the idea that it's not about him, that the attention isn't something he's seeking, just do the job and try to do it well. And he learned at the elbow of Brandon Bean, an outstanding general manager who, who has helped construct this bills team uh, that is seeking a, a, at least a, they hope a second trip to the AFC championship game. And then ultimately they want to get to the Super Bowl, but um, Joe brings the, the, the credentials of someone who took the, the humble beginning steps that the very entry level steps where he was grabbing coffees, uh, for people in Carolina up to the point where he was number two in command, at least in the personnel end of it. Yeah. He uh, was an intern in the ticket office for goodness sakes. That's as low as you get, right? <laughs> And, and wondering, you know, it was interesting because he had an opportunity to go with a pharmaceutical uh, technology or pharmaceutical company. Um, it was called Stryker uh, out of college, out of DePauw. And he it was like an I think a salary of like 40 grand with a four thousand dollar signing bonus. You're, you're talking about a 21 or 22 year old guy uh, who is, you know, not not entering professional football life, but as a player. But going into that business with the potential of earning six figures pretty early, and his friends told him, you really want to pass that up to do this Carolina Panthers thing, which was like 10 bucks an hour. But uh, he understood that it was um, a vision that he had, a hope, a dream to try to climb his way through. But he did have some misgivings early on because he said, what did I get myself into? Because right now I'm getting coffee. What am I? But um, I, I, what I found from, from Joe, uh, is that he sees the the small picture and the bigger picture, which I think is essential. And, and that's something he's learned from a lot of the mentors like Brandon Bean that he's had along the way. You, you talk about mentors, you know, Bill Parcells was in Miami when they hired him there. You mentioned Brandon Bean. Uh, how do you think those relationships and, and working under those guys has influenced him in terms of how he evaluates players and how he would want to build the team? 
Yeah, so I think it's it's about the details. Um, and one of his early mentors was another scout in Carolina who, and he would ask the right questions. Joe would ask questions about, for instance, if I'm looking at three guys from the same college, you know, how do we go about that? Do you watch them three at the same time? Do you, do you go back and rewind the film and go individually? You know, how is that properly done? And then when you get an offensive lineman, what are the attributes that I need to be focused on in reviewing that, the, making those evaluations? So he would ask those questions and, and, and of course, get the, what, what I'm sure for him were the right answers. Um, and I think as it applies to the, the collective mentoring he's gotten, uh, it is understanding that, you know, you need foundationally to understand what everybody wants the team to look like, but especially your coach who, you know, who's leading the, the, the way there coordinators, you know, how is it put together? What kind of scheming are you going to use? Uh, understanding that everything should fit players should fit what you're trying to do. I know that's always said, but it's got to be executed and that there absolutely has to be a, as seamless uh, a, a page as everyone can be on. Now, he did point out to me in our conversations while he was with the Bills, he and Brandon Bean weren't always like agreeing on everything. He said they'd have their disagreements. He said, and he goes, and we're both highly competitive individuals. And that's a good thing to have disagreement, healthy disagreement, but then come to a consensus. And, you know, his job with the Bills is mostly, he described it as the low hanging fruit. You know, so the, some of the signings, I mean, the GM doesn't sign every single guy, right? Because you've got to fill a roster. You're putting a, a certain number of players who aren't going to be on your team together for camp and all that. Joe handled a lot of that. But Joe also was in consultation with, with the major moves that they made as well. And a lot of the details that led to, you know, getting those deals done, for instance, you know, when, they, when they've done contracts for extensions for uh, the bigger players. I, you know, Vic, I, I don't get back to the team building in a second, but I think you bring up a good point here because, you know, assistant general manager, it's a very vague title, right? There are some assistant general managers, they just do salary cap. Some assistant general managers do college, some do pro personnel. How would you describe his role in assisting Brandon Bean? What was he most heavily involved in? How did that power dynamic work? What was his responsibilities? Just how did he function in that role in Buffalo? Yeah, my understanding is, uh, and again, I I, I speak uh, knowing that I wasn't on the day to day, you know, right next to these guys and, and going that way. I'm I'm counting on secondhand information, but my conversations with Joe, conversations with Brandon Bean and others in the in the organization, uh, that he was involved in a little of everything. Uh, he kind of had his hands on uh, back to the term I use details, uh, and I think that was what has done the most to prepare him for this shot. If it, I, I, I have no idea how, how those interviews went about for him to get this opportunity with the Giants, but I can, I can take a very solid guess, educated guess, that in his conversations with John Mara, uh, with, the, you know, with the Mr. Tish, all, all that group, that he uh, conveyed a, an understanding of all the key elements and that he could lay out what is you know what the priorities are, what's important to putting it together, and how it's put together, uh, because you have to have a good understanding of the business of the game and the Buffalo Bills. I mean, as well as anyone, let, you know, you, you certainly have to have the the talent, the quarterback, this all the talent that's on defense, but you also have to have the cap room to make certain moves. 
manage that ability to always have room to not only pay the players you want to retain, but also have room to acquire players you need. And then when it came to drafting, and now that you're a team that's highly competitive, you're drafting in the lower rung, right? And, and they, of course, they made that deal for Stefan Diggs. So they gave up some premium picks there to, to get a premium receiver. Um, that, a lot, that causes you as a personnel department to have to understand what is the deeper reaches to find that talent that isn't cherry picked at the very top of the draft. At his core, is is he a college scout? Is that kind of what he is at, at his core, given what his experience was before being the assistant GM? I think he follows the traditional scouting grinder, tape grinder guy. Yes, I think at the core, it's that. But his business background, you know, starting, you mentioned that internship uh, with the Panthers working in their ticket office, communication major at DePaul, uh, seeing a team in a larger light than that scout life. Sometimes when it, when you hear the term, you know, the guy the, or, or the, the woman uh, is a career scout in football, um, do they see enough of a big picture, right? Are they so consumed with the road life that is all consuming for scouts? And I, if, if you had, haven't had the opportunity, I, I was fortunate enough to have some scouts allow me to tag along for stories through the years and it was eye-opening to, to see their life, to see how focused that has to be. And guess what? You're not in an office. You don't really have a feel for what is in the building. A GM, a good one, I think, has to have everything, has to, has to be able to handle the personnel uh, vision, but see everything else. And, and Joe Shane, in my opinion, does see the everything else, if, if that makes sense, from, from a broader business perspective. Yeah, you have to see the forest and the trees, right? Almost at the same time and take all that in consideration. Absolutely. How about the bills and the fact that when Sean McDermott arrived, when Brandon Bean arrived, eventually when Joe Shane arrived, 17 straight years without making the playoffs, right? What do you think he learned from that process of bringing a team back from despair? And look, John Marison in his press conference last week, Vic, this is his lowest point being yeah. involved in the Giants. So I think it's fairly comparable, right? I think you can have that conversation. So what sure. do you think Joe Shane will bring from that experience, bringing the Bills back from their despair that he can help apply to the situation the Giants are in now? I, I think that is an, such a great point because he definitely, if you're part of the Bills organization, and, and as long as he's been a part of it, uh, you have to compre comprehend and understand the history. And, and of course, you know, the historic, I mean, the Giants are a historic franchise um, wanting to get back to that point of relevance. Uh, and, and Buffalo, you know, it took so long to get there for them to do that, but it's methodical. It doesn't happen. And this is the part nobody wants to hear from a fan base side, from a media side. Don't tell us it's a process and it takes this long. We want instant gratification. Doesn't work um, that way. <laughs> it, it, it just unfortunately doesn't work that way. Now, can the climb be faster in some cases than others? Absolutely. The question is, where are you going to make those big hits? Now, Buffalo's methodical climb began with Sean McDermott building a defense from the back to the front. It's no accident that he drafted those two safeties Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, I mean, I mean them. Uh, selected them, signed them. them as free agents. It's no, it's no mistake. They were his two first acquisitions as free agents. His first big draft pick 
Tredavious White, cornerback, right? Traded down uh, to make that move. He understood that as a guy who had coached defense his career, that's where foundationally you want a defense to be built. Now they're a defense that leads the league in like six major categories. So, of course, Josh Allen is the big part of the the biggest part of the conversation, but he doesn't come along as a rookie till 2018, and he doesn't really evolve into the player he is until 2020. Yeah. So think about those steps, right? You started methodically with you knowing all along you were going to, you hoped, get to the point where a franchise quarterback is going to be there. But in the meantime, you bring in those two safeties that other teams didn't maybe see it the way you did. You had you had that vision. And this is another the vision thing that I think Joe can bring from that. And then however, I'm not saying he's going to build it the exact same way, but but he appreciates that to get to where they wanted to be and out of the of the malaise of 17 years of no playoffs and a, a, a frustrated fan base that is now so in love with this franchise. And it's amazing how that's turned into something where, I mean, you go around town, uh, stores have already, I was traveling around the, the area today, and stores have signs on the window. Just a reminder that we will be closing uh, early on, <laughs> on Sunday so that our, our employees can enjoy watching the game just like you. That guy, and they don't even, I don't even think they mentioned the bill. They're just watching the game. They, there's only one. <laughs> so I know it's, again, different market in, in New York, much bigger area. Uh, you, you, got, you got more things to do than necessarily just follow football. But the Giants have such a rich tradition. I know they want to get it back there. I know Joe understands that. And then, you know, how, how he builds it to me uh, won't be instant, but I do think it will it will follow a methodical line. Yeah, you mentioned the bill, right? He started with the bills with that with that secondary and those two safeties entry, Davius White. Now, do you think that was a McDermott thing or do you think that's how Joe Shane envisions building a team too? you know, or see again, you know, because we've seen their last three drafts, they've gone almost I'm exclusively strong, but. They've drafted guys up front, right? Ed Oliver, Gregory Rousseau, Basham, yeah. Tremaine Edmonds. Those are all guys in your front seven. So how do you think Joe Shane envisions building a team up to create that really strong foundation? Well, it's interesting the way you, you, you brought that up because along with bringing in a Tremaine Edmonds in 18, who was the other pick in the first round? That was the quarterback, right? They, had, they got Josh Allen seventh overall. Then they, again, this is Brandon Bean's wheeling and dealing, and they and they were able to address a, a huge piece, a key piece to that front seven. So back to Sean McDermott, uh, I believe it's been, my understanding has been it's a, a collective mindset between McDermott and Bean as to how they see or have seen and continue to see the franchise being put together and the realities of what they can get uh, what's out there? Uh, have they done it all perfectly? Have they made every right move? Of course not. No, no one does that. And um, I, I mean, you could say, yeah, when you have success, you've done more things right than wrong. And I think that's been their their understanding, but consistent with what they want it to look like. And and by the way, very important to this is the profile of the players, um, getting people that are going to be available because they're not going to you know, more times than not, they're going to do the right thing off field instead of the wrong thing uh, to be a part of your franchise. 
Uh, I'm not saying it's it's all you know the, that that old saying a, a group of choir boys that you know will, and, and you know that aren't necessarily they're great individuals, um, but they better be players and they and they better fit your criteria as players. But there are character profiles that they insist upon, and it's it is a team first mentality. And I can I can say with pretty good confidence, being around this club, that. It, they fit the personalities of the head coach and the GM who 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 um, value that. So back to Joe Shane, being part of that, witnessing that, I think he saw it quite a bit in Carolina as well. I think he understands that. I, I, I also know he understands there is considerable pressure to get it right because you don't get these jobs when things are going swimmingly. So He's trying to fix something that is broken and to listen to John Mara's recent comments broken pretty badly. Two other specific moves I want to ask you about Vic, because obviously the giants are still figuring things out at quarterback, right? Daniel Jones is in his fourth season. He's under contract again next year, depending on the options, he could very well be back. So I want to kind of get a feel from you, how Joe Shane views the quarterback position in, in the lens of what attracted them to Josh Allen. You know, my understanding is that even if they had the first picking the draft. They still would have picked him as their quarterback right that year. So what was it about Allen that appealed to them that made them think that he's the guy and this is the guy that we want to make the cornerstone of everything we do? Yeah. I, first of all, I, I know for a fact, Brandon Bean was the biggest champion of, of Josh Allen of anyone in the organization. And that was a train that he was driving and, and convinced others ownership, obviously Sean McDermott, to be a part of that and, and give, they got their firsthand looks too. This was a somewhat of a, as you recall, a polarizing kind of pick Yeah, Wyoming guy, right? Unpolished, a lot of rawness, a lot of rough edges, but supreme talent, physical talent. Um, and, and just making a, a case to those who would ultimately uh, agree, collectively agree to do this that this guy, it'll pay off. And, and of course, they, they certainly have every reason to believe it has. So Joe witnessed that. In the meantime, though, remember this, the, 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 the construct of the, of the people running the team, I mean, it came together in 2017. Now, Bean shows up after that draft. He wasn't there for the 2017 draft. Uh, Doug Whaley was in his final days with the team before uh, Brandon Bean came in to replace him, also from Carolina. and. Then it was getting through that season with Tyrod Taylor, with other quarterbacks that they had brought in to, to, you know, just guys to kind of fill the space because we all were working on the premise that they were going to try to find their guy. And of course, the 2018 draft was considered that kind of draft where you could find a quarterback. So I think as it applies to the Giants, Daniel Jones may very well be the guy that is the guy or he's a placeholder uh, for when that opportunity brings about the guy. Now, I, I don't know how Joe has evaluated the, the 2022 class of quarterbacks. I, I, I don't hear rave reviews, but that, what does that necessarily mean? It doesn't really mean anything because it is not, you know, it's, we know it's not an exact science. And if you've got a conviction on somebody, you'll go get that person. Uh, and maybe they still, they, maybe they see somebody or he sees somebody. They're going to have a high enough pick to have that opportunity to get somebody.
but they're going to be in competition with other teams that have those high picks as well, that have that quarterback need as well. Maybe some will, some won't. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes from here. It seems like uh, they may bide their time. And, and I'm, I'm not saying I know this, but like maybe 2023 is, is the timetable to find that guy. And in the meantime, you've got whoever you've got here, you reach out into free agency and find who you might find there to help bridge that. But along the way, who's coaching your team? What's the offensive you know, philosophy? How good is that particular coach and his staff at maximizing what you need out of what you have, whether it's inherited or added? One more specific move I want to ask you about before we get to one more generic question how they built around the quarterback, you know, because I think that's something that has influenced Daniel Jones, right? They haven't been able to put a consistent line in front of him. They had a lot of injuries at wide receiver. And I think the fact that the Bills traded that first round pick for Stefan Diggs, you mentioned that move, you know, that's a risky move trading your first round pick for a receiver that was having some issues in, in Minnesota that they decided to move him and how they built the offensive line in front of Josh Allen, you know, Deion Dawkins was a draft pick, but then it was a lot of other different types of things they did to build that line. So if you could talk about the dig straight and how they built that offensive line, Vic, I think, you know, what insight that might give is as to how uh, Joe Shane might try to help fix this offense overall. Yeah. Well, start with the offensive line. Mitch Morse signed as a free agent to be the center, the anchor of this group. And he's really developed into uh, the, the leader, the veteran leader that they've wanted him to be, you know, kind of a quiet, unassuming kind of guy. But I think he has stepped up steadily as a leadership force and a glue, a, a part of the glue that's kept that O-line together. Deion Dawkins, uh, a guy who came in as a draft pick with, uh, you know, with McDermott that, you know, that first showing up as a, as a, as an uh, upper tier draft pick from uh, Temple, and, and that's a guy who has, of course, earned his way into a second contract, and, and he's a Pro Bowl left tackle now. Um, and then how they built that line, a lot of it, it it's, it's a lot of not flashy, semi-under-the-radar kind of guys that Daryl Williams, you know, that you're John Feliciano. Now, these aren't household names. Now, Cody Ford, they did try to Draft, take a big stab at a second round pick there. Hasn't worked out well at all for them with him. Uh, but other people have, you know, they've had a guy he's hurt now, but Ike Butker. Uh, again, these aren't household names, but it's, but it's the combination of these sort of good, hardworking, solid individuals who can provide depth, who can be interchangeable. And, and keep the line going. And, and then, of course, counting on Bobby Johnson, their offensive line coach, to do whatever he can. I'm not going to say magic, but certainly his job and his work to kind of keep it all together in concert with Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator. As far as uh, the Diggs trade, uh, yes, that was the over-the-top piece that, of course, showed the great dividends, shown great dividends now. But in 2020 – when this was really humming and Josh Allen was the runner up for MVP and earned his way to a new contract after the season. Um, I, I, I think the, the, the beans under Brandon beans, understanding of where Diggs was or wasn't in terms of the plans for the Vikings uh, and making it, and, you know, he was paying close attention to his outspokenness via social media 
didn't seem to be a happy guy. Didn't seem to like a lot of speculation. He didn't like being on a team uh, with Kirk Cousins as his quarterback for whatever reason. Cousins, good quarterback. I don't know what the falling out or, or disconnect was. Maybe that's a better way to put it, but it was there. And I don't know if it was with the coaching staff or whatever. And of course, they've since made that change. Now, you know, they they have Jordan Jefferson. I mean, they've made up, they found their right piece to replace Diggs. But to, to anticipate the availability, then to pull off the trade by making, you know, the essential offer that the Vikings couldn't refuse um, with, with those multiple first rounders, that, that to me was their way, was, was Bean's way of saying, if we're going to have this great talent at Josh Allen, we got to get more out of him and have great receivers. Uh, and and they, they didn't have a true number one or two prior to that. Now they've got digs. Now they've, they've uh, drafted, you know, Gabe Davis. Uh, I think Emmanuel Sanders, solid, another piece to it all. But it's come together in, in a good way. But, but here's the other thing I'll stress. You better have the QB. The QB <laughs> will make good receivers great, will make average receivers good. Um, a terrible receiver is a terrible receiver, and maybe nothing can be done. But don't expect a great receiver to be your answer to fix what the quarterback can or can't do. It doesn't work. And I believe that – I know the Bills understood that. I, I'm pretty positive that uh, Joe Shane understands that. All right, Vic, obviously you cover the league on your show with SiriusXM. Who are some of the head coaching candidates? And there are some names out there in the other that I won't mention. But I know you have some connections and knowledge of some of these guys that the Giants might be involved in and their eyes might look towards here that have connections sure. to Shane, to Buffalo, to other connections. You might say, where should Giants' eyes be looking here as the head coach search now begins in earnest? Well, I, I think it's obvious that once you've got a Joe Shane in place, the next thing you look to is what are the connections with him? Um, but through the prism, not of friendship, not of I'm going to bring my buddy in now because I got this opportunity. Come along, pal, and you can be a head coach and make a lot of money doing that. That happens in this game, and I think it's, it happens in a lot of businesses. I think it's unfortunate when it does sometimes because it's not the right reason to, to have someone in that position. First of all, Joe Shane wants to be a long-time, long-term success at what he's doing. This is not oh gosh, I got to be a general manager for a brief period. Uh, he's looking to be there for the long haul. He needs the right head coach to make that happen. So if he's making that decision on someone that he trusts and knows, and obviously in Buffalo, he knows Brian Dayball very well, their offense coordinator. He knows Leslie Frazier, their D coordinator quite well, um, and, and knows what they're about. And I think there's mutual trust between them. So I, my first place would, would be there, as I think that would be the case with most people looking at this, media fans. Um, and I think if you're the Giants and you, and you believe that you're, you, you know, you're, in, you're either intermediate or long-term view is, what are we doing with Daniel Jones? Um, it doesn't it make sense, I guess, to have a Brian Dayball be the guy who helps usher that? Remember, he was a runner-up. And I and I'm pretty sure it was it was him as the second guy uh, when Brandon Staley ended up getting the job in uh, San, uh, in Los Angeles for the Chargers, and that sur surprised, if not shocked, a lot of people that a defensive coordinator, though he was a former quarterback, got the head coaching job. And I understood that Brian Dayball went to sleep 
after the interview, when he got home and, and, or, or whatever, hotel, whatever, when he was in bed, he thought he was getting the call the next day. And he was as shocked as anyone that he didn't wow. get that call. And, you know, it seemed to make sense, right? That he was going to come in there. You've got, you know, a, an arguably as good a young quarterback as you could have with the Chargers. And you're going to bring this guy in to help get more out, out of, you know, out of that. Uh, so if that's some of the thinking, then yes. But the head coach can't just be a quarterback whisperer, can't just be a designer of a great offense. The head coach has got to see a big picture and understand everything is important. He's got to be a CEO in his in his view. My experience is the ones who succeed the most have a deeper understanding of everything uh, in in the in the entire of everything in the organization. And even though their their expertise usually comes from one side of the ball to or another, um, and sometimes special teams, but for the most part, the ones who've had a lot of success. Uh, are are not myopic. They can see the whole thing. Anything Giant fans should know about Joe Shane that we even talked about here, Vic? Uh, you know, I I think just that he is again the, the the time I had an opportunity really to sit down with him at length and and talk with him about um, you know the job about what he was doing and and what he's about that people just to get to know him straightforward. Uh, I think as honest as the day is long, as far as his ability to, to deal straight with people. Now, is he going to, when he's in front of cameras and the podium and, you know, all the New York media is seeking a- answers. Is he given up everything? Of course not. And, and no coach, uh, no general manager, no coach, no one in that position usually does. But if there's at least an honesty and a trust and a fair approach to things, which is what I think they'll get from him. I, th- I think people will appreciate that element of it. I think he will, not that this is, the, you know, the bigger part of the job has to be what he does when he's out of sight of cameras and everything else, when he's doing the right. <laughs> uh, but, but I think they'll appreciate how he goes about his work. Vic, this was great. Fantastic. Tell the folks where they can find you on SiriusXM. Yeah, so Channel 88, and uh, usually uh, in the in the in season, it, it changes from from uh, week to week in the playoffs and all of that. Uh, but Dan Leberfeld and I are on Saturday this Saturday morning, uh, the first uh, day of divisional round. Uh, we'll be on from 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. Eastern time, uh, and then most uh, days in the off season, uh, it's a 10 a.m. to 2 p.m slot Eastern time on uh, Sirius. So uh, yeah, enjoy it. Been doing it a long time and uh, appreciate those who will uh, check in. And one more thing, uh, because there is a Giants chapter involved, but Bill Polian, uh, of course, the Hall of Fame general manager, worked for the Buffalo Bills uh, and and other teams, Carolina, and of course, the Indianapolis Colts. Um, And I, we collaborated on a book and and that's the, the, the cover back there. It's called Super Bowl Blueprints. Um, and the reason I bring it up in this discussion is there is a full chapter dedicated to the Giants uh, Super Bowl uh, teams. And, and Bill Parcells is is in there. Phil Sims, Carl Banks. Uh, uh, we, we've got a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people, Harry Carson nice. uh, as well, uh, who it's an oral history. And John Mara was so generous with his time in, in helping uh, talk about uh, the, the whole 
the humble beginnings of the Giants franchise to those points where they, uh, and, and of course, you know, watching his dad go through all of that. And I'm sure there's some sense of John reliving some of that humble history. Of course, uh, we don't get into that part in the book as far as the current situation, but it does give, I think, a good historic perspective of how they put those teams together. And, and each chapter uh, from the early 70s, like Raiders, Steelers, uh, all the way through to the early 90s, uh, excuse me, early 2000s, early 2000s. Um, and, and we have a lot of just just a lot of great insights. And Bill leads the this Bill Pullian leads the discussion in each chapter. But I just think it's something giant fans or football fans in general uh, will enjoy. No, I appreciate it. I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to order myself a copy right now. Vic, great stuff. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you down the road. Survive the snow up there, my man. My pleasure. That's Vic Carucci. Check him out on SiriusXM. Go buy the book. I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle Podcast.